Good morning. Uh, you guys look like you're doing good this morning. Kaden, clench your back. Awesome. Wonderful. Um, so uh, it was, it, as you can see, we're all into uh, superhero, superheroes. So if you would, just uh, lean over to the person next to you and go, you are my superhero. The couples love that. A few of you were like, whoa, that's a little uncomfortable. And so, uh, I'm also excited about uh, something that is happening. It started about three years ago. We were, uh, we were looking at our campus. We were looking to, to purchase the campus. And um, Mike Tucci went with me, and we walked into the chapel. It's an incredible building. has incredible potential. And Mike says, so how long do you think it'll take you to, to get this fixed up? I said, take me four months. That was three years ago. And I have in my hand, we've been praying for this and waiting for this. These are your official permits for the chapel. And so the work has already begun. Pete and uh, his team have already begun to uh, put new wood in where it's needed and uh, move and adjust a few rooms here and there. We also have gotten started with the concrete work. Uh, we even added some new steps to the house so when you go to the back, that's going to be uh, new as well. And the way this is going to work is uh, we want it to be more than just, oh, wow, it's all about the chapel. We want to get the chapel fixed up. We want it to be something that we do together. It's an opportunity for us to be able to work together and to be able to give together. And so uh, our idea is that we, we're going to have kind of two different gr work groups. One is going to be, some of you will be like, look, I need to know two months ahead of time. That's where I schedule my life. That's where I live my life. I love you guys. You're important. You're needed. It's great, right? So we're going to have specific Saturdays for you to be able to sign up and be able to go, I'm there. I'll do whatever you need to get done. Uh, however I can do it, that's what I'll do. It. Then we're going to have a few of you uh, that would probably be a smaller group, but a set of you that'd be like, look, I can be there during the week. When you need extra guys, uh, things to happen, I will be there on weeknights and uh, you'll be able to sign up for that time and be able to go, I'm, I, I want to be on that team that makes this thing transform. You'll also have the opportunity to give. There'll be, uh, we, we've kind of divided up into different pieces, like you can even buy a piece of drywall. Be able to, I want to be able to, to, to give to be able to make this thing happen. Um, I don't want to, I want to make sure I'm clear about this. We've actually got enough uh, in the bank to get the chapel entirely fixed up. But if you give toward the chapel and you get to see that, you get to say, hey, I specifically was part of this. Now, we're not going to put your name on that piece of drywall, okay? Actually, we would. We'll put it on the back side of the drywall, but uh, we, no. You won't be able to actually see it, but you'll be able to go, hey, I, 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 I was part of this. This is part of, I'm part of what's happening here and be able to be a part of that. And... Whatever we don't end up, whatever we bring in to be able to do that, that just means new roof for this building and lots of other cool things that we can do uh, with those funds. And so be looking forward to ways that you can get involved and, and be able to do that. Uh, we're going to be able to start next week. Um, there is uh, still quite a bit of stuff in the chapel um, that needs to be moved out. And so we're going to ask you to stay after church for 15, 20 minutes after each service next week. And we're going to move all of that stuff out. We're going to have a brand new cement pad poured this week. Uh, we'll be able to put it there or be able to move it to storage somewhere. So you can plan on that next week, jumping in already and being a part of, of what's going on. Uh, so we've been working through uh, 
this, uh, we started this series of uh, pain uh, last week. If you didn't catch it, or uh, make sure you jump online and, and take a look at it. Uh, it, it. Some really cool principles to be able to help you. Um, and so this week, I'd like to start with a story of when I was uh, some years ago, and I was a youth pastor, and we did these wilderness trips. So we go to Canada, and you, t- you get everything you're going to eat and survive on for a week. You throw that into a backpack, you take a canoe, and out you go. And uh, I was with a, with, with a guy who had this really awesome, he did it a lot, he had this really awesome graphite paddle. It was specially shaped. You looked really cool going through the water. It said it helped you to paddle better, but I, I just love the fact that I looked really cool going through the water. And, uh, I, and it cost about $200. And uh, we did portages. You pull up to the land, you can't get there from water, so you carry your canoe and all of your stuff over like a half an hour, or, I mean a half a mile, or this one happened to be two miles. It was the longest portage there was. And so we did that and got over there and we got on the other side and the paddle was not there. I had left it. When I packed everything up, I didn't pick up the paddle. And uh, I said, okay, I'm going to go back and do it. I'm a superhero. And some of the guys said, hey, you want me to go with you? I'm like, no, you kidding? I'm going to go get it. I left it. I'm responsible for it. I'm going to go get it. And so I trudged back, I'm running, and you got to be in a hurry because everybody's waiting. They're all waiting because I left the paddle. <laughs> Two miles is a long ways. And I get the paddle, I'm good, I'm, I'm running on the way back, and the weirdest thing happened to me. I don't know if this has ever happened to me before. The weirdest thing happened to me, I really felt alone. Like it had gotten really hard, I needed to get there. I felt really alone. Like, I needed them to be with me. The superhero thing was falling apart on me fast. And so, today, I have a question for you. When you deal with suffering and pain, do you deal with it like you're a superhero? When you deal with suffering and pain, do you tend to go it alone? Do you tend to go, this is my cross to bear. I need to do this alone. So what's what's suffering and pain? It it comes in a lot of different, a lot of different faces. Sometimes it's, hey, my spouse has, I don't think they love me, or they've cheated on me, or this is nothing like I thought it was going to be. Sometimes, for for many of us, for many of you, you've actually grown up and you've had to make up a pretend mom and a pretend dad because the truth is your mom loves something else more than she loved you. She might have told you she loved you, but the truth is there was some other man, not your dad, or there was some other substance or some other that she pursued, or maybe it was your dad. And so you got a lot of pain. You've been a superhero. Trying to live with that pain. For some of it's it's financial. Like no matter what happens, we just can't seem to get ahead. Or maybe you had a big thing happen in your life where you lost a job or you were headed and something went wrong. 
Or maybe it's physical pain. My wife, Lori, she came down with arthritis when she was 19, 20 years old. She has lived with pain her entire life. It's actual physical pain. Do you handle that as a superhero? I think it's the natural fallback. I think the natural default when we go through pain and suffering is to do it alone. There's, there's some things that we say to ourselves we don't even realize that we say to ourselves. I won't let people share with me what they have. What do I mean by that? We think I need, this is what I need in my pain and suffering, and other people will share, offer to share, and you'll be like, that's not what I need. Or you're like, okay, they offer to share, it is what you need, and you're like, no, 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 you keep that, you need that. You need that. And people offer, they offer to help. But you're like, no, no. And you, that causes you to walk alone. You may not recognize this one, but I want you to think about it a little bit. I must maintain my status, my role, my position, or I'm out. See, in all of your relationships, you have a position or a status or a role. And uh, I talk about this from time to time, and uh, it's real in my life, but I, I hope that because I, I keep it out there real, like I actually love the superhero idea. It gets me in trouble fairly often. I told this guy once I could fix up the chapel in four months. It took three years. I, I, it gets me in trouble. I tend to, to lead, and when things begin to fall apart, instead of grabbing people and making sure we're all working together, I tend to go, okay, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take care of this, right? It's my status. It's my position. You see, when you begin to hurt, you don't have the power and the strength you used to have. You, it's risk that you lose your status. So if I need you, I can't be the superhero anymore. I can't be in that position anymore. So that tends to lead us to, to walk alone. Here's one that uh, you recognized when you were in junior high and you haven't changed a bit. I just need the important people to care for me. See, I want to hang with the popular people. I want, I, I want the best to, if I'm going to share in this pain thing, right, I don't want the lowly people. You're like, oh, I don't think like that. Yes, you do. It's so natural to human behavior. You see, there's a lot of people who want to care for you, but if you're going to let those people care for you, you kind of end up moving down a couple levels in your status of who you are. It happens in life groups. It happens in life groups. There's a pecking order in your life group. There's a pecking order in every group you're in. And, and if you're not careful, somebody will offer to help and you'll be like, well, they need more help than I do. So I can't accept help from them. And you tend, I get it, I get it where I am. I get it where people will be like, okay, I, I need some help with stuff. And we'll go, I'll, I'll be like, okay, good. Go see Katie and Kletchie or, 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 or go see uh, Maria or go see this person. They're like, no, no, I need you to help me. Why do you need me to help you? Because I'm, I'm the guy. I'm not the most important person by any means, but in our organization, I'm kind of the top guy. Right? I'm seen as the top guy. 
And, I, and the really big one, I can't lose control of my life. I can't lose control of my life. I will accept your help as long as I'm still in control. I will accept help as long as I don't have to submit myself to what you think is best. I'm not losing control of my life. I got all these problems. I got, oh man, this pain is so, so bad. Listen, listen, this is what you need to do. No, no, no. I will decide what I need to do. I'm not letting go in control of my life. It causes us to walk alone. Here's the big idea for this morning. This may take a couple of, a couple of weeks. Um, just real, real quickly, guys, uh, ignore what I'm about to say. Um, guys, my timing clock says I am behind by 10,224 minutes. Which means you guys are amazing. I've been, walked, I've been talking for 10,000 and you're still listening. That's awesome. That's incredible. But just so you know, like, uh, I'll probably need other signals. Good. All right, here's the big idea. I am a superhero. Okay, big idea. God speaks of an amazing joy that thrives in pain and suffering. It's what your heart most desires in your marriage, this joy, in your family, and in your church. It comes by sharing the tension of pain together. It comes by sharing the tension of suffering together. Humbling yourself and letting them see the pain and how you are struggling to deal with it, then sharing the journey together. Tim Keller said, suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. Suffering doesn't scare God. And so we're going to talk about this today, and maybe it'll lead, it'll lead into next week as well. We're going to talk about, are you, are you walking alone in your suffering? Or do you understand this is this incredible opportunity to experience God, experience Christ in ways you've never experienced him before? So where does joy and suffering start? Where, do, where does this come from? And so we're, there's lots of passages that talk about this. We're going to jump on one in Hebrews where it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Whoa. The word of God refers to the Bible. It refers to Jesus himself. That the word of God, Jesus himself, and, and the scriptures when we share them together have the ability to know exactly what's going on in your heart. You know what's the most common plea when we suffer? No one knows what I'm going through. Nobody understands this. No, 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 no. No, God understands it perfectly. I'm going to say it this way. God understands it better than you do. He knows what's going on in your heart and your life and your mind even better than you do. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. He sees every bit of it. He sees what happened. He knows why it happened. He knows who's hurt you. 
He knows the pain that you feel. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God is here. He knows it all. None of this is new to him. That's one of the big things in suffering. No one's ever faced this. No, no, no one's ever faced this. No one can understand. This is different. What I'm going through is different. God says, no, it's not. It's not. It's not new. I know this. Then he says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. What's the faith we profess? The faith we profess is that Christ knows you. He knows all about your suffering. He knows all about the sinful ways you handle suffering. He knows all about the fact that you tend to pull away. You tend to walk through suffering alone. He knows all about that. He gave his life. Now, did he give his life so you would no longer suffer? Don't answer the question out loud. Did he give you his life so you would no longer suffer? That is not the primary reason he gave his life. The Bible does not teach that Jesus sees you suffering and goes, oh, they're suffering, they're suffering. I have to stop their suffering. The Bible says that Jesus saw your sin and that you were a slave to sin. You were a slave to sin. What's the major sin we commit when we go through suffering? Didn't know if there was something behind me. Right? We back out. We hide. We walk alone. We fundamentally believe that if I can get rid of the suffering, I can experience joy. If I can get rid of this pain, I can, I can experience joy. You don't know how many times in my life I begged God to take away Lori's suffering so we could experience joy. You don't know how many times, I can, I've lost count of how many times I asked God to take away Lori's pain so that we could experience the life that God had for us. Because we believe that, right? Get rid of the suffering, then I ex can experience joy. That's our, our foundational faith is that, no, no, no. The, the, the faith that we adhere to is, no, Christ said, I'll come into that suffering. He said, I'm going to come and suffer. He came... Matter of fact, we're just going to look through. I've got a lot of stuff here. You get to follow along on the screen. I'm, I'm not going to comment on it too much. I'm just going to walk through this Jesus, what he's like, this, this God that we follow, the one we have our, our faith in. What, what is he like? It says in Matthew 9, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. 
The great experience of any human is to see and experience the face of Jesus. Uh, just so you know, some of this is written by uh, a guy named Tim Keller and a, a few other people. So the passages were intertwined, right? Because sometimes I'll read this and you're like, I never read that in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Uh, it, it's them commenting on that, that piece of it. To Jesus, to see Jesus, his love, acceptance, character that he cheers about and worships is the ultimate high and will change you forever. If you can't relate to suffering, you will never see him ever. If you are looking for a glory that can only hold up in the good times, material celebrity, government power, then you will fail. Look at Jesus. He is perfect, right? You've heard this your whole life. Jesus is perfect. And yet he goes around crying all the time. He is always weeping. He's called the man of sorrows. Did you know why? Or do you know why? Because he is perfect. Because when you are not all absorbed in yourself, you can feel the sadness of the world. And therefore, what you actually have is that the joy of the Lord happens inside the sorrow. It doesn't come after the sorrow. It doesn't come after the uncomfortable weeping. The weeping drives you into the joy. It enhances the joy. And then the joy enables you to actually feel your grief without it sinking you. In other words, you are finally emotionally healthy. Not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from God's notice, Matthew 10, 29, and neither does any one of your tears. When Hagar lifted her voice into the wilderness of Beersheba, God drew near. When Hannah wept bitterly outside the temple of the Lord, God noticed and remembered. When David became weary with moaning, God didn't become weary with listening. The God of all comfort keeps watch over your weeping. He gathers up all your tears and puts them in a bottle. Psalm 56, 8. That is a verse. That's something God says is absolutely true. Like a mother sitting beside her child's sickbed, God marks every sigh of discomfort and pain. No matter how much your anguish has gone unnoticed by others, not one moment has escaped the attention of the God who neither slumbers nor sleeps. To be sure, to be sure, not all tears awaken Lord, the Lord's compassion. God has little patience when we weep in misery over the idols he has removed from us. As when Israel preferred Egypt's meat to God's presence. But every tear you shed in faith, shattered by trusting, gutted but believing, has this banner hanging over it. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Now we're going to go back to our passage. So we ended our passage saying this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Empathize means be touched, have compassion for, understand exactly what you're going through. Maybe I should make sure we're clear about this. You see, when Christ came, he was the God of the universe, created everything you've seen, has all power, all glory, deserves that we fall on our face before him. He did a crazy thing. He took on a body and lived on earth, 
so he could experience the temptations that you experience. So he could experience what suffering and pain is like for us. So sometimes we're like, well, that's Jesus. He's different. No, the whole, go- the whole idea behind Jesus coming is he's not different. He, ex- he understands exactly what you're going through. He can be touched by it. He's experienced it. With our weakness. Now back to the passage. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. He can handle the sin. I mean, he can handle the hurt and the suffering without being a slave to sin, without withdrawing, without being alone. It says, then let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. What do you mean? I mean, when you are hurting and when you are suffering, I am going to run to the throne of God with confidence. Why? Because someone who knows exactly what I'm going through, who has overcome the sin that I'm struggling with, has died so that I belong right there. I belong in front of God. I belong in front of Jesus. I don't need to withdraw. I don't need to hide. That's where I belong, with confidence. This is where I belong. If you have a great relationship with your parents and you're now an adult, you walk into their house and you check out, what's the first thing I do? I walk into my mom's house, I always go to the refrigerator, see what's in there. Now, if I went to your house, Okay, some of you, I'm close enough. I actually do that in your house too. But if I go to your house and, and, and I walk in, I open the refrigerator, you're going to go, what are you doing? But if you have confidence, meaning I know I belong here, that's what God's talking about. That when you're hurting and you're suffering, you go into his presence with confidence. Why? I belong here. I'm going to open the refrigerator and see what's good in here. Why? Because... This is my God. This is my Jesus. This is my brother. This is, my, this is where I belong. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What's that look like? What's it look like? How do I experience this joy in suffering? What's the practical things that I can do? Number one, you run to Jesus. You run to Jesus. This is not a churchy thing. This is a very practical thing. Like you run to Jesus and and you, with your pain, you bring it to him. Well, how, how do I do that? I'm gonna give you something super, super practical. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Why? Well, I don't understand it. Look, the internet is amazing. Put in, I'm hurting, Bible verse. 25 verses are going to come up, of which one of them, you're going to be like, whoa, that's what Jesus says to me. That's what Jesus says about me. I get to share this pain with Jesus, with me. Number two, memorize Bible verses. 
Memorize Bible verses. I can't memorize. Neither can I. It's too hard. That's not actually true. The way you memorize a Bible verse is you get it out and you read the first phrase and then you close your eyes and you say it five times. Just say it five times. Don't try to think about it. Don't try, just say it five times. Now, you can't do that, by the way. Because by the third time you say the phrase, you start sharing life with Christ. Because the Bible is alive. It's not like any other book. We read earlier, it's, it's alive. And you begin to share your pain with Christ. And the truth of that passage begins to come through. It takes me forever to memorize the Bible verse. You know why? Because I end up communing with Christ halfway through the verse. And then I'm done. Then I do it again the next day. Then I'm done. Then I do it again the next day. It takes me a long time. The byproduct is I end up spending all this time with Jesus. Run to Jesus. Read your Bible. Memorize passages. Where do you start? Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. It's this passage. Just start working your way, memorizing that passage. Number two, or B, pray to your personal high priest. What's a high priest? A high priest is someone who connects you with the Father. It's someone who connects you with God. That's what a high priest does. A high priest goes ahead of you and says, okay, I am going to make this person right so they have confidence to come here. So pray to your high priest asking for mercy and grace for this moment. There is a 100% chance he says yes. Just let that settle in. What, what do you mean? I mean every time you're suffering and you come before your high priest and you say, because of what you've done for me, I have a right to be here. I'm confident to be here. But I'm in trouble. I need grace and I need mercy. 100% of the time, the answer is yes. Number two, live from a Christ-centered life. Live from a Christ-centered life, not a me-centered life. What does that mean? Listen to last week's message. I'll talk about it for 30 minutes. Right? But for now, I'm going to talk about it for just a little bit. A me-centered message is that my life is about me. And this pain that's going on is about me. A Christ-centered life is that I am part of Christ. And he has promised to use this suffering to change me and to turn me into an instrument whereby I'm going to be used to help change other people. I'm going to set other people free because of the way that Christ is going to use this in me. A Christ-centered life says, wait, Christ is not all about getting rid of suffering. He's all about taking suffering and turning it for good, for making my life count that I have real purpose and real meaning and it is being fulfilled. The purpose of my life is that I belong to Christ and Christ belongs to me. It's not about me. Number three, 
Train in living in the tension of pain and suffering. Train in living in the tension of pain and suffering. This morning I'm going to introduce to you a campaign we're going to do this fall. It's called Stronger Together. And almost always when you hear Stronger Together, you think, okay, we get together and we can do a lot. We can get a lot done because we're stronger together. That's true. That is true. That's not the focus of the campaign. The focus of the campaign is that when you share life with other people, you become stronger. That when you share life with other people, there are parts of you that can never be developed, that can only be partially developed if you walk alone when you do that. But when you do it together, something amazing happens. Now, uh, don't raise your hand. How many of you like to be around positive, healthy, successful people? Yeah, I kind of like to. I really like to be in situations where things are moving forward. When it came to the chapel, when they told us, you know what, we're not sure you can use the building. You probably wouldn't want to hang out with me at that particular time. Some of you did have to hang out with me, and you're like, does that guy believe in God at all? Now, when, when we got the permits, you probably want to hang out with me. How you doing? Terrific. Living the life. Oh, it's awesome. Right? So we tend to gravitate toward the positive. Here's the deal about living together. Living life together. The most precious times come when you go through pain together. Love in a couple's relationship, love is cemented when they go through something hard together. And during that time, there's all this tension. It's the tension of pain. It's how do we get out of this? Or we're not going to get out of this. How do we live in it together? How do we help each other? How do we encourage each other? How do we lift each other up? How do we pour into each other while we're in the pain? Now, something amazing happens when you share pain together. You become wiser. And you tend to make decisions where you have less pain. You know what happens then? Then your heart grows for those who are in pain. And you go back over here and you go, I want to share this with you. And you make this huge difference in their life, then they become wiser. And they create less pain in their life. And then they go, but I see these people over here, they're in pain. This fall, we're going to invite every one of you to be a part of a life group. Not so we can put down on some piece of paper, we met our goals, everybody's in a life group. No, I, I want you to learn how to live life together. The whole thing is not going to be about how to train life group leaders to be great leaders. The whole thing is going to be about how to help you live in community with people in pain and suffering 
and tension. You'll also learn how to live with them in joy and peace and victory. And so what we're going to teach you how to do is to run to the pain and stop running away from the pain. Because the greatest joy of life is found when you share life with Jesus no matter what pain that comes toward you. It's when you stop running away from pain and you start running to pain because you know with great confidence the God of the universe is with you and is saying, whatever grace and mercy you need, I got loads of it. And I want to share life with you. I want you to experience Jesus in a way you've never experienced Jesus before. And to do that, you have to run to pain and invite him to be the center of your life. Let's do that right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for the amazing, amazing love that would, would give up all the comforts of heaven. Specifically so you could suffer, set us free from our sin, and, and then and live in the tension of our pain and, and the way that we run and the way we hide. And you just keep calling us out into the light and into the open so we can experience the joy that you have. Right now, I just want to pray for each person here. I want to come into your presence with confidence and ask, Lord, there are people all throughout our congregation that need mercy. Lord, pour out your mercy on their hearts and lives. Lord, they need grace. They need, they need goodness. They do not deserve. Lord, pour that out on their hearts and lives. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to take communion together. And as we do, I want to encourage you Sorry, I can't pick this up and talk at the same time. As they do, I want to encourage you. They're going to pass it out to you. Where in your life are you hiding? Where in your life have you pulled out and you, 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 you're alone? And you come here every Sunday morning. we don't know who you are. We don't know the sin that you're struggling with. We don't know the pain you're struggling with. We don't know the suffering you're struggling with. And you're just hoping. You're hoping that somehow Jesus will meet with you just one-on-one. -on -one. Fix this. But you don't even share it with him. Maybe because he whispers in your ear, Gotcha. Now tell the person sitting next to you so you're not alone. Maybe you're here this morning and you do have hidden sin. There's something in your life that you're, it's an idol to you. It's something you worship. It's something you got a hold of and, 
and it's got a hold of you. Well, this morning would be a fantastic morning to be able to go, wait, 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 wait. Jesus died on the cross. His body was broken to pay for that sin. I don't have to be enslaved to that sin anymore. Jesus has paid for it. And this morning would be an amazing time for you to confess that sin to him. And if you need, to someone else. Why walk alone? Why suffer alone? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your body. You say that that you put our sin on your body, on the tree, or in your body, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. That by your wounds we are healed. It's because you suffered we don't have to. Because you paid for the sin, we don't have to. But we do have to bring it in the light. We do have to bring it to you. For some of you this morning, it may be that you are suffering alone. You're playing superhero. How about this morning? You come out of the darkness. You walk into the light. You let Jesus' grace and mercy set you free. Would you, would you talk to Jesus and say something like this to him? Lord Jesus, I hate this suffering and I hate this pain. I'm so alone. I am sure if I bring it to you, You're not going to see how bad it is. and You're going to tell me I should handle it better or you're going to... But I see this morning that's not true. You have compassion on me. You know exactly what I feel like. You know exactly what I am afraid of. So this morning, Jesus, because you have died in my place because you're my high priest. I come to you and ask for grace and mercy.